Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Rav. This is Richard. Welcome, Richard. Richard Taholka, the creator of Fringeworthy, is with us tonight, and we are happy to have him with us as we continue our ongoing series now of the campaign, the late campaign for Fringeworthy. This week, our topic is, what about those portals we never explored? Can we finally explore them? And John, why don't you talk about why it is that we haven't been exploring some of the portals that are on the fringe system until the late campaign? Well, some may have been problem portals, like the Libyan Sansi portal on Earth Prime, where going through pretty much will kill you if you're not careful. Well, what does happen when you go through that portal, John? Well, there's a good chance you may catch fire, and and catch fire and burn, and uh, and you may or may not transit either. You may be sitting on your side of the of the portal on the platform on fire, or you may be in the middle of the sand sea on fire, burning up. I'm noticing a pattern here in where you're going to end up immolated. Okay. Yeah. Well, it shocks you unconscious, and if you do make the transition, you're on fire. Yes. So it's <laughs> not such a good thing. <laughs> oh yeah, it's because if when you're if you actually find the portal. In the sand sea and undig it, unbury it, and all that good stuff, you'll see that it's wobbling. It's not stable. It is physically mm. wobbling, and that that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there could be other problem portals as well. You know, out there, there's we, we we have a whole slew of them, and for those players who haven't encountered them yet, they're interesting. Well, most of the portals that are on Earth are problem portals in the sense that they're inactive due to one condition or another. So, Blix, what about the portals that have too high a security rating? Well, yeah, you haven't. Uh, in most campaigns, you've set the security rating on purpose. You've set it high on purpose because you don't want players going into it yet for whatever reason. You know, Maybe it's too dangerous for their level of character, or maybe there's secrets that you're hiding back there. Or you, know, you could even just make it, um, you know some of those as, as red herrings, so that you know it's a high security level for no apparent reason whatsoever. But basically, you know, the higher the crystal, the more rare they are, and they just haven't found those crystals yet, so they can't get into those portals. Trav, what about portals where it's not really a nice place on the other side, environmentally speaking? In order to find that out, I mean, obviously, you can look at the pylon and say, okay. You know, we notice that there's low uh, pressure, low atmosphere, or it's high pressure, or it opens in the middle of space. Basically, the pylon readings just show, okay, this is inhospitable for human life. And maybe you have not gotten to the point yet where you can do the crystal key to create a hydrostatic bubble. So you've just said, okay, we can't go in this portal. We're just going to leave it and just we'll get to it when we can get to it. When you learn how to do the hydrostatic function, 
or when you, let's say, gain technology that you can use on the fringe paths that enables you to survive in those environments, say, for example, organic spacesuits, just for off the top of my head, then you could say, okay, we can go through this portal and finally check out what's on the other side. Even some kind of really armored ATV that might be able to provide a, the equivalent of a spaceship environment might allow you to explore some worlds where, you know, the air is bad. Well, not the, air, the air is actually not that big of a problem. Uh, but like that one world where uh, there, there's like a binary sun in the sky and you were just getting fried with so much ultraviolet and high-intensity radiation that 15 seconds on that side was enough to put you into radiation shock. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. I was also thinking about the uh, advanced abilities using the, the crystals where you can create the force field. Right. Well, we, we don't want to talk yet about the solutions. Let's just talk about the different kinds of worlds that we're not able to get into. Okay, got it. One of the biggest problems might be that natural laws are so radically different on the other side that the Tremelmer just couldn't deal with it. That's the other places. The places where physical laws are just it's such that you step through and you'll last... Oh, say for five for ten minutes, and then all of a sudden you're longer. You, for some, you basically you now start adapting to the local laws, and you disassociate into quarks or whatever because physical laws are different in that universe. And there's also some of the worlds where there were strange mental effects as well, where you literally started getting enormous headaches and, and even going crazy after a relatively short period on the other side. So you'd have to abandon the exploration of that world because you wouldn't be able to remain sane or functional if you stayed there too long. Other places also include places where magic works and some other things that work that won't kill you just by being there. But we're talking about the other places that are radically different, where you turn on a beam of light and it falls to the ground. Okay! <laughs> well, well, you know, John, what I was thinking was, on what we were just talking about, was that, you know, imagine you go into a world, and, and at first it wouldn't seem as dangerous, but imagine you go into a world where all the humans speak by telepathy, but they've evolved the ability to hide their thoughts, you know, thoughts that they don't want to, they don't want to say so that it's, it, you know, it's just like us. We don't say things that we don't want people to know about, but you know, the fringe where the travelers go in there and you know, their mind's an open book to these people. Well, that is not good. All right. Well, let's hold on here. Uh, but Trav, uh, is there anything more on the environmental issues? Well, as I said, the pylons can give a very early indicator of don't go there. Let's see. It's temperature, and pressure are the two indicators that you get. Either it's too hot, too cold, high pressure, low pressure. The light is flashing. You have a low pressure. Uh, if it's on, it's high pressure. Environmental factors, the pylons give the warning and they just don't go yet. So like crushing gravity would also be something that would keep you from exploring. So if IDET finds a way to circumvent that where their people can go through safely, then they'll decide, okay, we, you know, we got this, we've worked it out, let's go. But a few other things too, like, for example, if you go to a world that's very seismically active, you're being tossed around constantly. Well, how long can you explore a world like that? You can't sleep there. Okay. Or, you know, the pressure doesn't tell you about uh, constant hurricane force storms that might be going on on that world. Well, if the world with, that's all oceans except for a few islands, yeah, you're going to have a hurricane. You're going to have two hurricanes, one in the north, one in the south, 
They're permanent, and these go round and round. There's one we haven't mentioned. I mean, what if the world is just simply too dangerous because of the, you know, the life forms that are there? Yeah, the ecosystem. Yeah, you can't send the party there because... We're talking role-playing characters. They can kick anything's butt. No, but you're right, Blix. That's what I was going to get to next, okay? Which was, what if it's a world where p- humans aren't treated very nicely? We, re- we ran one with the original Fringeworthy system rules, so you know how unforgiving that was at times. It was back in the 80s, so the whole Vietnam thing was really big, you know, uh, like, like Rambo, First Blood and stuff, and... We had this one portal that opened up into Vietnam, and every time any of us ever went in there, it was almost a TPK. We'd show up, and we're in the middle of the Vietnam jungle, and we would just get torn to pieces. Now, in a Savage Worlds-type setting, that might be a little easier to survive. Well, again, if your characters are high enough level, they can handle it. But, you know, first-level characters stepping into Vietnam, into a middle of a war zone, hey, you're not going to make it. They're not ready for it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie's going to cut you a new one. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, you know, you're behind enemy lines and you're just going to get shot to ribbons. There was an infamous one from a different, this is actually from a different campaign Richard ran, but, you know, we come out, we step out. It's a prairie, it's a desert. There's this tall tower and some guy goes, it's a tall tower by itself? Yeah. Do we hear any countdown somewhere? Because I think we're in Trinity and that's the A-bomb they're going to test. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> There's two other ones that I'm thinking of that, that are too tough for characters, for early characters. That's a Mellor Hell. Yeah. I would say maybe a fringe pirate base. Worse than that would be a different fringe-using race. Oh. Not just fringe pirates. Right. This is from the uh, the second Portal book, the Coptics. Oh, yes, I've used that Oh, nasty, nasty. Yes, yeah. I've used them in my my first Fringeworthy D20 campaign, of which the one I'm running now is a spinoff. Oh, yeah, they're they're just rotten. I like villains. Those are worlds you're going to have a hard time exploring. Right. Uh, um, I, I realized what it was. I just remember what it was. Remember, we did a show on dinosaurs stepping into a dino world. Beginning characters not going to do so well there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, a world... That just had a major ecological disaster, such as a you know a dino kill, killer asteroid hits, mm-hmm. or some sort of disaster that it's going to make life there unpleasant and difficult to difficult to manage and for a while until you, you you can either figure out the life support dome as we talked before when the crystal key functions, or it settles down enough that you can actually can try. Right, one more that 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 we ran. It was an adventure I designed, and it was a Termalern city. So you actually went into a fully modern Termalern city, and it was the most dangerous thing for the party because, you know, they, they had no idea how any of this stuff worked, and I had it so that they were teleporting all over the place. The place wasn't meant to be dangerous, but it was dangerous because they were too ignorant to know what to do. Like, they were quite likely to get lost and starve to death. And that was a later campaign one because we had some of the players had Tremelon tech abilities and they had to figure their way how to like transit and stuff properly and how to keep track of each other and everything and how to get into the system. Oh, yeah. And for a beginning character, I mean, you could accidentally kill yourself easily. Imagine a caveman walking into a modern home. Oh, yeah. It's safe for us. I mean, it's super safe for us. But, you know, caveman walks into a home, turns on the gas on the stove, doesn't realize what he's doing. Pulls the stove out and busts the gas line. Ugh, smell bad. Ugh. Has no idea. 
A perfect example of that would be the movie Dinosaurus. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> That's a horrendously bad movie, but it's fun to watch. Poor caveman walks into a modern house and just basically mayhem ensues. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was thinking about about you say Tamelon. I one of the things I ran during my during my first fringeworthy campaign was they found a fringeworthy uh, a Tremelon amusement park. Actually, amusement something because they're not quite sure there was because you stepped through it was total darkness. Then you realize I'm falling because the portal opened up with no ramp Jeez. and it was a drop. You just immediately would start falling and falling and falling until you got caught into a gravity swing. Oh no. <laughs> I've heard stories. Once he got caught in it, it took them a while to figure out how to get the heck out of the thing. I just thought of another one that we that we've ran, and it came from the um, Stormbringer game. It was the adventure called the Hall of Risk. It's run by this demon Balir, and it has uh, eight rooms because you know uh, Stormbringer is all about law and chaos, and chaos has the you know the eight pointed star. Anyway, so it's this this tower you go into. What the game master did was, is he the portal went into basically it was like a pocket stop, but this demon was controlling it, and magic worked there, of course. And what made it so dangerous was, is that the place is set up to take you, uh, to have your character ruin himself to the point to where Balir takes you. There are great rewards and great losses. The things that you bet are things like stats and skills and memories and stuff. So. It's really cool when you when you do a contest and you win and you get a point of strength, right? Really sucks when you lose a point of strength or an arm or three points of intelligence. Now, if you don't have a gambling personality, like I always did very well in this adventure because I would go in, I would play one or two games or whatever, and then I'd be done. But we've had players who the game master had to take their character because they just wouldn't stop. It's just like a casino. It's, it's slanted against you. And they would just lose into the point where they lost their character. And I could see this being like sort of somewhat of a later campaign type of thing in that so deceptively dangerous that, you know, an experienced character might have a better time or even better yet, an experienced player might realize, oh, this is not something I want to participate in. Or the GM would want them not to explore it because he would have to pull his punches so much in order to let them do that that he wasn't going to give them the experience he really wanted to. Right. In a later campaign, you lose an arm, maybe you could grow it back mm-hmm. or get a prosthetic that would be almost as good or even better. So it wouldn't be such a terrible thing. It'd be bad at the time, but it wouldn't be something you couldn't recover from. Correct, correct. I'm sorry, I hear this this thing that you're talking about, Blix, and it reminds me of D&D and the deck of many things. Very, very, very much like that. <laughs> Was it you, Richard, that had a demon playing with a deck of many things, playing solitaire, or was it thinking someone else did that? <laughs> uh, it was probably my early gaming campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> that button on the wall. Oh, God. Let's talk about some of the ways that we're able to overcome some of these problems with things that would be common or at least developing in a fast rate in the late campaign. In the early campaign, you know almost nothing about the fringe pass. In the middle campaign, you know some about the French past. You're just now beginning introduced to the Mellor. Uh, you're running into a lot of other worlds. You still really don't have a full knowledge about how the French paths work and even a, a very good grasp of Tamelan technology and what its scope is and what it would be, even to recognize it, I don't think. But in the late campaign, I think you would. So take a look now at the crystal uses 
and how that these might help us uh, in order to get past some of these problems. It's page 63 of the Fringeworthy Manual. Which one? The latest one, Richard. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's our Bible. We, that's, that's what we work with. The podcast is based off of it. Chapter 5, verse 16. <laughs> Out of the Book of Amensia. And lo, Schmert went forth and did not tell any of the people that he ran across how to use it, the crystal. Instead, he gave strange little rhyming verses, hoping that they would figure it out for themselves. <laughs> Figured themselves out not, did they? Ah. All right. Uh, let, let's start with the ghost, the, the ghost transfer. All right. That's one of the really useful – well, is that really one of the really useful ones? I, I think so. Yeah. You can't die. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell our listeners, Blix, what does the ghost transfer do for you? You're an intangible being, right? Right. Okay. You're an intangible being. So like for example, you were talking about the world with the binary star. You know, you could travel around and look at stuff there. Uh, it's not going to hurt your ghost form. I have a feeling that it would let you explore other wares, other places that have different physical laws. I think you're a projection from the portal. We got Richard here. Richard, what is the ghost transfer? What what are you? A ghost transfer puts you in the world in basically a ghost form. You're not interacting with the world, but you are able to move around. And in some cases, if the person has enough psychic ability, you can actually influence the environment. You literally are a ghost. So your soul or whatever it is is in there. Your psyche, yes. Potentially, an other could affect you, maybe. If it was mentally based only, sure. Like the world where you were saying that mentally it would attack you, just being in that world, then yeah. But if it was like a physical thing. But all these environmental places would be something you wouldn't have to worry about. Right. It's really good for the worlds like the binary star where you could explore around. And, you know, the game master might say, well, if you go due east at this coordinate, within 10 minutes you'll run into a base that you couldn't see. Or, like, when you come out, if you go, you know, you make a 180, go around the portal, there's a base right there behind the portal. You really only need to be in a protective suit for a few minutes to get into a base where you're protected. I'm just saying something like that. Sure. It can be used for scouting yes. and to get the lay of the land so that you can say, okay, well, now we can use re other means to protect our explorers because we know something about the world where before we couldn't know anything. Right. So I think the ghost form is, like, fantastic for doing what we're talking about. And, like, okay, so, for example, like the dino world, you go in there, the dinosaurs can't affect a ghost body. But, I mean, you also have to think about, well, what does that get you? You walk out into this jungle and there's dinosaurs everywhere. I mean, so what? You can walk around. What, what is the ghost form really going to tell you? In some of the cases, it may not give you anything more than just the ability to scout and come back with information. It may not give you a leg up in any other way. It's not going to let you scan a computer system. No. It's not going to let you read a book. Nope. You're still not going to be able to see in the dark. So if you walk inside of a tomb or something, then you're, you know, you're not going to know anything more than you did before. Right. So it does have its limitations. Well, it does say the ghost transfer have a 10% chance to move or interact with anything solid on that world. In fact, they are only visible to the inhabitants of that world for 1 to 10 seconds at a time. Right. Hello? <laughs> Just enough to startle them, yeah. Yeah, so you could, if you were to concentrate, possibly read a book, you know, to be able to flip pages. It might take a while as you're there rolling percentiles to turn each page. 
but you could sit there and feasibly with time read a book. I would, I, you know, I actually wouldn't have a roll, keep rolling dice. I'd simply say it takes you ten times as long to read that book. Yeah. Because you guys sit there and go, ah, ah, there goes the page. Yeah, I got it now. Okay. <sighs> well, since all these worlds could have slightly different physical laws, too, I would simply say, well, on this world, your ghost form has the ability to do some interaction with the environment. On this other world, you're just truly a ghost. You're a walking image. So you wouldn't be able to actually do that no matter how much time you took. Yeah. I agree with that, yeah. And others, you could say that you have the ability to use Mage Hand no range. for It's D&D five-pound telekinesis. Basically, you can lift up to a five-pound object. You may not be able to drive a car or, you know, whatever, but you could read a book or move something or, you know, have some physical contact with the world that you're in. And you might actually go to a world where everybody is a ghost. And so if you'd gone through normally, you would have seen anything. There wouldn't have yeah. been anything to see. And now all of a sudden, you're surrounded by thousands and millions of people all floating around, these spirits that are now inhabiting the space that you're inhabiting now. Just remember, don't go to the light. <laughs> what makes this a later campaign thing? Well, the DC for Ghost Transfer is 35. So... You're not doing it to a later campaign anyway because there's no way you could make that role in an earlier campaign. Yeah. The mind transfer, heck, that's a 40, so... Well, we're getting onto that. We'll get onto that, right? Yeah. yeah. Theoretically, you might be able to do these even in the early campaign if you were somebody who specialized in it in, in the D20 modern system, used skill emphasis and you rolled a lot of natural 20s, just kept rolling and rolling and rolling until you finally got it. But that all presumes at that point that you even knew that you could do this. And that's one of the points is that a lot of this, these crystal use functions aren't even revealed to the players as something they can do until the late campaign. Well, the next one on the list is the mirror transfer. And that, that one's handy because you know it, it reverses your molecules and makes it so that you, know, you can't eat the food on the world, but it makes you immune to any disease. You know, that would be good for, you know, like a zombie world. So, like, if a zombie bites you, you won't become a zombie because you're immune to that. So, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, super Ebola world. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe Rogue 417. Oh. If you ever picked up the supplement, which I happen to have, Fringe Ray, they're all magically considered to be immune. At least from Earth Prime, they're considered to be immune of, 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 for Rogue 417. How about Rogue 418? <laughs> Don't know about that. Don't know about yeah, that. See? See? Yeah, the GMs get to do what they want to do, John. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, we love the zombie apocalypse here. And in zombie worlds, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, that, that's the biggest fear is because it's, it's, you know, it's one bite or one scratch or whatever. I mean, the, the zombies can't even injure you or you're done. With a mirror transfer, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, granted, you have to worry about them eating you or killing you, you know, outright. But... If one happens to get lucky and get a hit in on you, you're not going to become a zombie. You're, you're fine. Yeah, and you can bring enough food for you to survive quite some time. Yes, yes, you can. You don't have that problem with water. It's only food that you have the trouble with the right-hand, left-hand molecules. This only applies to certain proteins and certain carbon compounds. A lot of proteins, meat proteins, are not handed. They're just whatever. But for these purposes, we're saying that your DNA and your entire body is being reversed such that you can't eat. 
anything from that world. Just go with it, all right? Don't write to his complaint that says, that doesn't work that way. We know it doesn't work that way. Trust us, okay? <laughs> it's a big multiverse out there. We're just saying that there's worlds out there where weird things happen like this. Yeah. If you look at the very first one, uh, the defense function one, one of the things that it does is it will absorb all radiation for D4 hours. So a lot of those worlds we were talking about where the radiation level was just so high, it was it'd be lethal to be there even for a second. You can walk around for up to four hours without a care in the world. And all you have to do is walk back through the portal to recharge the crystal. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now you have to know you can do that. If you don't know that, then... <laughs> the binary worlds, you could probably walk around that, what, defense mode one or two? I mean, ten points of burn damage, that's... But it's not even burn damage. It says all radiation. Well, I know. It says radiation and, and burn damage. Right, exactly. Burn damage is against, you know, actual infrared kind of things where, you know, like things are really, really hot. Like you're walking on hot ground, lava flows. Anything with the fire descriptor would be considered burn damage. Yeah, in this case, the binary world is that, from best we can tell, there's no ozone layer. So there's all this UV light coming on down. And it fries you. If it wasn't for the ozone layer, you would burn from UV damage in 10, 15 minutes. Well, I, I know there are probably radiation sickness rules in the back of Fringeworthy, but I mean, they're also in a D20 future has radiation rules. You would use those for the binary world. And then when you have the crystal, okay, for depending on the crystal, let's see, D4, 6, 10, or 8, D10 hours, you can bypass those rules. They don't affect you at all. And like we just said, you walk through the portal, it recharges the crystal, go back through again. Now, granted, you're going to have to time your distance and exploration to make sure you're still within the distance of the portal. But still, in four hours, you could explore quite a bit, you know, up to two hours away, then two hours to go back to the portal. If the GM tells you what he rolled for the duration, if he's an evil GM, he doesn't tell you he just rolled a one. <laughs> yeah, right. It depends on whether the GM rolls it or you roll it yourself. That's one of those questions: Do you know how long it's going to last, or do you? Or, you know, that's thing for the GM to decide. In some cases, you may not know how long the protection lasts. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily know because it says D four hours. I think you'd learn over time the minimum amount of time you could trust it, which would be one hour. Yeah. If it doesn't fail instantly, if there's like a quick dropping of the protection. Well, then that might give you enough time to, you know, beat feet back to for the portal. Or at least find some cover or something like that. And right, right. I have this odd vision of two characters standing talking to each other on a very hot world, and suddenly one flashes into carbon. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, yeah. And he's looking at his bare wrist, the other guy who isn't get, who didn't get burned, and goes, Hey, look, I forgot to leave something on at home. I got to go. <laughs> in the later campaign, there's also going to be a lot more of these crystals around as you guys have been doing a lot of exploration. So you could have somebody with a whole, like three or four or even a dozen of these low-level crystals. And as one gets used up, you just kick the next one in the gear. Yeah. Yep. So I'm looking at this and, you know, the, the, looking at the crystal level, the defense mode one, which absorbs 10 points, that's crystals four to 11. But if you want to get it to absorb 20 points, so let's say it's some world with, you know, it's really, really hot and you need, you know, you're going to need more than 10 points. That starts at level nine. Level nine is way up there. Yeah, those are pretty rare. 
that's a crystal you're not going to get until until the later campaign. I mean, no one should have uh, a dark green crystal anywhere before you know later campaign. Right. Yeah. The higher level crystals you find, that means there's more portals that are going to be available for you to explore. So your GM's not going to give you the higher level crystals until later because he doesn't want you to open up every portal that's around the Hatsumi base. This is how he's being able to control the availability of portals uh, in his section of the of the fringe pass that he's running his campaign in, and to keep those platforms evergreen. So as they get higher level crystals, oh, here's a portal that we weren't able to open before. Now let's go explore that. There are some other portals, for example, the ones that are underwater. That meant that the portal is, is somewhere. But until someone fringeworthy comes by close enough with a crystal to be able to detect that portal, they're not going to find it. So it might be on a beach somewhere in Panama, but we're never going to find that portal because nobody's over there looking for it. Skills to adjust the portal from the platform side. Or just to detect it. I'm saying is that if you look there, the range of 50 miles, that's a level, crystal level 7 to 11. And it's a DC 40 to do it. So it's going to be in the later campaign before you're going to have people a high enough level to have the skill to be able to find some of these portals that could be active. It's just that you, know, you haven't been able to find their warp yet. Um, Bruce, are you reading where it says 7 to 11 range 50 miles DC 40? Yeah. That's for detecting fringe-worthy, not the portals. Oh, you're right. The portal detection is, yeah, I'm sorry, 10 times rating kilometers. Okay, but that's 70 kilometers. That's still not that far. So, so the point is, is that it's more likely to detect some of these hard-to-find portals in the later campaign than you would in the earlier ones. That's all. You just go, okay, we got turned on. We turn on the, the dome feature. So now we have a dome over the, over the thing. Oh, it's turned back on again. We can step out and we're underwater. Okay. Right. So being able to turn on the dome means that some of these ones that were underwater now can be used again. Determine where they are. The first thing you do, you step through, you put down the beacon and the Suno boy, and you go back through and turn it off. And then you figure out, okay, where is it? Where did, where did, where's the beacon come up at? And you figure out where that, where that portal is. And then it's just a matter of figuring out, do we move it or do, do we build something over top of it? At that, you know, one, one or the other. Yeah, well, that's true. And that's something that's probably going to happen in the later campaign. What's the DC on activating the electrostatic dome? 35. 35. So there you go. Uh, for crystal levels 4 to 11. Okay. And how big is that portal? I mean, there's no set size. Well, we talked about that before, and, and to a certain extent, it's the size of plot. <laughs> okay. But we know that it's at least big enough to cover the portal it itself, so that means it has to be at least... 25 feet tall. But really, it's probably going to be whatever size you need it to be. Okay, got it. Well, if it's 25 feet tall, that also means it's 25 feet in radius. It's going to be like a hemisphere. It could be really big like the one at Hatsumi Base, or even bigger. But I'm saying, more or less, I would, I would assume that it would be the size of plot. As a GM, and you can easily say, okay, if you want to make it bigger, you can, you can but it's going to be another 35, DC 35, to make it bigger. If you want to, you know. And if you fail, it shrinks right back. It, it goes away or shrinks. Yeah. Right. Just don't be in there when it shrinks. Don't be that guy. Yeah. So, Trav, tell us about how using the intermediate area transfer 
would let us explore worlds that we couldn't explore before. The explorers transit to a pocket universe of the ring station at either end. Transiting at the far end completes the trip to the world. A delay area like this is often a mile in diameter and in a natural setting. It has standard fringe-worthy atmosphere and gravity, but none of the restrictions on electricity and nuclear material. This allows equipment, including vehicles, to regain normal function be activated before finishing the transit into a world. Works only on planetary portals that end in a planet-side ring station. Well, if you were to have the equipment that it would take 10 minutes to recharge, like space suits or environmental armor or certain sensors like uh, Geiger counters that you need to write instead of having to recharge it for 10 minutes. Using the intermediate area transfer would be a good way to get all that stuff going before you go out into the dangerous environment. Like it says, it works only on planetary portals that end in a planet-side ring station. So if you try it and you make the roll but it doesn't work, you could assume that, well, either you didn't do it correctly by using the crystal, which that is a DC-40. Okay, this is, not, this is not a beginner's thing either. Or it goes to a warp, which means the portal is buried or underwater, which then you have a whole other sum you have to deal with. But yeah, the intermediate area transferred really good to get that technology going that you could use to explore the dangerous environments. If you went to a world and you needed that mental shield that you found on some high-tech world, you need that power going so you can go through. You got you got to add that worth of Mr. Fusion unit you got off that one world. Yeah, there you go, yeah. If it's one of those places with crushing pressure and you need a force field going in order to keep you from being flattened into a pancake, well, you definitely don't want to do a walking through onto that world is because electricity won't be working. You won't have that shield going. So you need a place where you can get all your equipment going before you go through and this place provides that. Or it lets you power up and assemble and get power up your spaceship. It's an asteroid and you're going to be going into space. Or for some strange reason, you have a warp that's anchored in space. And on the other side is a black hole or a neutron star that's just a little too close. And you better have a, you know, a drive in operation. so that Otherwise, you get sucked right in and you're gone. Wait a minute. If you're going through this... This intermediate transfer, it's a ring station on either side. That's yeah. only a 25-foot-high portal. It's not going to be a very large starship that you're going to be using to grow in. No, you're probably not going to find that to the lag campaign anyways, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Special spaceships that go through the portal. Okay. It could be long. It's just really narrow, too, you know? Yeah. little needle-type. You know. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Or magically powered or anything like that, you know? Right. So. The, the spaceship from the from the that one movie, The Navigator, which can reconfigure itself as needed. If your solution to the reason why you can't explore the world uh, requires some kind of instrumentality that you know runs on anything that would normally be neutralized by the portals, this is the way to go and be able to get it all going before you go through, so you do have that protection and therefore are able to go and explore those worlds. Maybe Richard might be able to answer this. Does this stay? Does this intermediate area stay up for the duration, or does it go away as soon as the last fringery steps through? Okay, it, it may be pre-programmed into the system, and when it creates a small, pleasant environment for a little while, if you leave things behind in the environment, when it collapses the environment, it will recreate them, but and it will stay as long as there are intelligent or uh, life forms in the environment. 
Okay, so once the last Fringeworthy leaves, it collapses and you have to recreate it when you head back through the portal. If you leave a raccoon in <laughs> then it, the raccoon's going to be very happy. Yep. Raccoons and pigeons, you know, whatever, you know, it'll stay open. Uh, or a brain pair of mice. That way it'll always stay open and you don't have to worry about turning the dang thing back on again for after that. If you want to come back to this place. Until the mice figure out that you, they can go through the portal, which in that case, oops. <laughs> we had an intermediate area transfer right here. Oh, who let the mice out of there? Jeez, yeah. No, actually, very quickly, uh, animals have to be t- have to be carried through, so they can't go through by themselves unless they're crows. So you don't want to use crows. Yeah, crows are universally fringeworthy. Yes, but uh, animals can't go through unless they're carried through. Okay, well then they don't have to worry about the them leaving the area. Okay. Yeah. So, so are you going through that portal? Never more. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> so was Edgar Allan Poe fringeworthy? I'm sure on some alternate Earth he is. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you read in the beginning of the uh, editions, there's a piece of Edgar Allan Poe in each one of them. Oh, yeah. What? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. What? Yeah, the the, the, uh, the missions at the end of the book. Or up in the intro of the book. The mm-hmm. one quote about, about the whirlpool and the ocean and the rainbow above it, the, the, what the Arabs call the bridged other worlds. It was out of a Poe quote, out of Descent into the Maelstrom. Hey, because you know, you know I'm a Baltimore native, right? Egg, Egger's one of my homeboys. Yeah, here it is, uh, page Roman numeral 6, and I quote, But still I can make out nothing distinctly on account of mist in which everything there was enveloped, and over which there hung a magnificent rainbow like the narrow and tottering bridge which Muslims say is the only pathway between time and eternity, a descent into the Maelstrom, Edgar Allan Poe, 1841. John, why don't you jump in for the mind transfer? That's probably one of the methods of us handling a lot of the weird places. It confirms to, to you, the player, that there are intelligences on the other side. If it's a really, really strange place. And this means you get a body that you can use. Uh, it's not your body, but it's a body you can use to uh, explore this world. Um, or it also can be very, very human bodies. We had one case where a group transferred into a world, and out of eight of them, uh, seven of them went into the bodies of humans, in fact, children who were under 10 years old, and a 16-year-old who was basically special and uh, became incredibly intelligent suddenly with that uh, fringe-worthy mind, and the last person ended up in a goat. Oh, <laughs> oh that'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, actually, that would be a solution to say uh, a dino world, where it's just too da- you know, the, the, for various reasons you don't want to go through with machine guns blazing and kill every dinosaur in sight. But still, you want to explore and check it out. If you're lucky, you get put into a top you know apex predator. If you're unlucky, you're a top apex prey. Again, the goat. Hey, the entire group of velociraptors. <laughs> right, they work as a team. I can see it now. The one guy who is good with his hands. I'm in a T-Rex son of a... (laughs) (laughs) And then the time travelers from that world come back to shoot the dinosaurs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're busy waving your hands back and forth going, Roar! Roar! Trying to say, no, don't shoot, don't shoot! 
I'm just imagining the T-Rex from from uh, Ringo Starr's Caveman. You were in a world where all the life the life forms were intelligent bubbles. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way that you as a human being could ever have a, a good interaction with one of those. If anything, you would probably be considered to be a tremendous threat. You have intelligence cetaceans, either whales or dolphins or all the all of them of the above, right. and there's no intelligent land animals. Well, yeah, it's easier to work if you're a dolphin to get around and talk to folks than you are than it is if you're on the land wearing a scuba gear, blowing bubbles and making too much noise. Right. You know, there's, there's that. that. But, let's swim, yeah, let's swim, oh, let's swim, let's swim some more. Ah, let's yeah. eat fish, yeah, let's swim again. <laughs> <laughs> or you're in a world where there's intelligent plants, but it takes a week to have a conversation of any uh, of, of any intelligence. So I like know. the sun over here. I gotta move this branch. Oh, that's some good sun. Yeah, no, it's more like the sun is whipping by, John. Okay, <laughs> the sun the sun just keeps zipping by. I wish it would go slower, but that's how you think as an intelligent plant. Your thoughts mm-hmm. are cogent, but they're slow. They the process. The same thing for for silicon life forms. Silicon life forms, really, for them to function, would either have to be in high temperature or in environments that are well lethal to humans. And so, yeah, silicon life forms would be a way to get into a silicon life forms mine. Uh, also, with creatures, say, like uh, this is from Larry Niven, superfluid uh, helium creatures, mm. which means you only exist in near absolute zero temperatures. Right. So you couldn't even go into a world like that otherwise. Yeah. You just free, free solid as soon as you did. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. And, and then trying and trying to figure out how they work. Or or uh, I love this one from uh, from Hoyle, uh, something like a, a galactic cloud. Basically, it's a cloud that's intelligent. It's also about ten AU's across. Kind of hard to have conversations with that. Right. <laughs> uh, in the uh, Star Child series by Jack Williamson. At one point, they discover the stars are intelligent. Yep. So you could end up being the intelligent, you could inhabiting a star. Mm-hmm. And Kevin J. Anderson did a, a, a series, Seven Sun series. They had this race called the Hydrogues, and they were this, this race of creatures that live inside gas giants. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. We get uh, Madeline L. Engel. Wrinkle in Time, where they, they made a transfer through a 2D world. Basically, everything's flat. There's no third dimension. It's all it's all two dimensional. So all these weird places, you know, where the physical laws are radically different, or uh, these situations where time is a real element, and as a human being, you wouldn't be able to have any real conversation. It might look like a really boring place to you because there's nothing but rock and big giant stars light years away, and and what's there to do here? All of a sudden, you use the mind transfer, and you're in a very rich social environment where people are discussing things that they've been discussing for millennia and it might be great wisdom. Though I would have to say though in places where people take a, take their time talking, you may want to consider doing uh, was it a time transfer or I'm thinking the wrong thing here. The time transfer is there's two versions. One is where you go through and you can't come back for yeah. a certain amount of time and the second one is where after a certain amount of time you have to come back. It automatically retrieves you, which is good to go in a world that is like very uh, militaristic and might uh, might know about the fringeworthy, don't want to have anything to do with them. So if you explore the world, there's a chance you might get captured and imprisoned for the rest of your life. Oh, and then you're as time lasts 
last lapse transfer where basically you can't go through the portal for a set period of time. That was the first one I mentioned. Oh, never mind. Where you can't go back through, yeah. And there's time timed transfer. But I think we mentioned that the one where you travel back, where, where one of the problem portals is you travel back in time. It's basically it's a it's a time shift portal. Yeah. That really should time be a paradox. Power. To my opinion, yeah. that's actually a power. That's something you can tap into. It's probably a forty or forty-five. We suggested that during our time travel podcast that there might be another power that we didn't have listed in the book, which was the ability to use the portal to actually come into the world at a different point in its time space continuum. Yeah. But we also said that if they did that, they wouldn't be able to exit any earlier onto the fringe path than the time that they entered the world. So that there wouldn't be any problems with... Paradox. Yeah, time paradox. So yeah. it's a good episode. Any of our listeners who haven't listened to that time travel one really should check it out. Yeah, It hurt my brain. I wasn't part of that one, and, and it hurt my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is but this is one where you go back you you go back say um, a month so you have that that short conversation that takes a month with a tree, right. you know you know one of those things and uh, but also you know there I think mind transfer can, could have some uh, downsides too because for one thing you take over a known person, Bob the Willow and you're just taking over Bob the Willow and you're not acting like Bob, right. Well, it does say that it does not cause any mental harm to yeah. the person by this happening. But you're not Bob. Yeah, and in a world that actually had a Miller infestation, you start, you're not acting like Bob. They may actually go, he may be a Miller. All the more reason to, to be just a mental transfer, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they could kill you. They could imprison you. It's too bad about Bob, of course. Yeah. But at least you're not getting killed doing this. Yeah. I feel bad about Bob, though. Yeah, Bob's a nice guy. Shame about Bob. <laughs> what about Bob? Yeah. Anything outside of, of the portals now? Let's just talk just in general about you know some of the technology that, and we mentioned it a little bit so far already, that might be available in the late campaign that would really help us explore some of these worlds we were talking about. Blix? All right, so I'm thinking... Right, we're talking about just like crazy, any kind of technology that you want to give the players. But at this point, you will have spent enough time in the re the remnants of the Commonwealth and some of the worlds where they still have some technology to get your hands on some pretty choice stuff. Okay. I like force field belts. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, most people think a la Dune, but I like, uh, if you ever played uh, uh, Dark Forces, which was a Star Wars video game, basically that was your shield. That's how you kept you alive. You know, anything like that. There's a couple games that have that, but... They stole that from the animated Star Trek series. Did they? Okay, all right. So, so you know, a personal force field belt—that's cool. They stole that from Magnus the Robot Hunter back in the Key Comics, John. And he stole that. <laughs> from, no, well, whatever. whatever. <laughs> all right. So, um, I'm also thinking some kind of flying device. So maybe like you know the Micronauts. Uh, remember the Micronauts? There's there's uh, the the backpack wings they had so they could fly places. Oh yeah. Well, oh no. Right. Give give me a Buck Rogers gra any grab belt. Okay. Sure. Right. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> However you want to do it. So you have a world where the ground is all lava flows. Mm -hmm. It's stable enough for the portal to be there, but it's going to roast you if you spend any time there. Right. But you could fly up in the air and be safe. Right. Or I'm thinking, yeah. you know, um, anything like an Iron Man type suit. 
mm-hmm. you know, where it's armored, it's protected, it has an environmental system, you can fly around, um, maybe it has a defense system built into it, you know, and this is just all personal equipment. Right. Or a mech. Or a mech, right. Or I, was, I was getting ready to get into vehicles. You could have like a mech. Or you could have, you know, a small like hover car type of thing that's really high tech, so that uh, you could fly through the portal. It doesn't run off electricity; it runs off of bio cells. Uh, right. That's a biological life form that generates electricity. You would need. I mean, think about it. You, you got a force field belt or an anti gravity belt or, or, or any of that kind of stuff. It could even be a creature that you've uh, been able to harness that has anti gravity and flies. And you got Tremelin technology, which like biological creatures, because they're really big on their their bioforms. But I was saying that, you know, if you had some kind of technological device, you know, it's not going to do you any good, you know, because you're going to step through the portal. It's not going to work. You're going to have to charge it up. Unless you're in that staging area. Unless you're in the staging area. I was getting to that. Yeah. Or you're using Tremelin fringe tech, which may work just fine on the platform. Sure, and that, and that's where I'm going with this. That's where you you have to be careful with the technology that you use. You know, it's, let's say you have an Iron Man suit, okay, but it runs off a, a power cell. Well, that's not going to do you any good on that lava world because you're going to step through and your suit is not going to work. You know, you're going to wait for it to charge up, and by the time it charges up, you're done. You know, whatever it was you were going to get from, it's not going to work for you. So, just you just have to remember that whatever technology it is that you have. You know, you either want it to be Tremelor so that it'll still run when you step through the portal, or it has to be, you know, some kind of uh, biological battery. It's a living organism. Photosynthetic, like plant life. Sure, sure. And I, or I was thinking, you know, remember Spider-Man had Venom? Uh, where, where Venom came from, Spider-Man? Symbiote, a symbiote. Yeah, he went into Secret Wars and he got this suit, and the suit was actually a living organism. Yeah, uh, right. you could have a suit like that. I mean, maybe it's a living organism like that, but it's going to have to be something in those lines, or you're going to have to create a staging area, or maybe when you step through the world, it does have a staging area. Like maybe you know the portal's inside of a base, but everything outside of the base is a, is you know is a no go. So you step into the base, you get your suit powered up or whatever, and then you fly out and do whatever you got to do. You could have a world that's dead, but there's a thriving interstellar population, and so you have a star drive that you've been able to bring over to the world and power up and use it to take off. Yep. You know what? It'd be great to actually have a Tame Meller on your side as well sometimes. Just for that extra information you can get from people that you normally can't get unless you're a telepath. Right. We talked about the possibility of, yeah. of curing the Meller, and then they can, you can use them as a resource. If you're high enough tech, figuring out how to take a Meller and turn him into a suit. A Meller suit. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know what? That, that's not that far-fetched, John. Honestly, you know, you, we're thinking about it saying, you know, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. But why wouldn't the Tremelon have used them for something like that? You know, they could change it in any shape. So why wouldn't they be able to do that? I mean, that, that's not really that far-fetched. I mean, what, what do you think, Rich? you got to wake Richard up for these questions. Richard, what do you think of creating, once you get high enough technology access, of creating a Meller suit that you can put on where? A shape-changing suit. Yeah. The only problem would be everybody would, when you step through that portal, if they knew what Meller were, you would have a bullseye on you. <laughs> There's that, of course. Right. But assuming they didn't know? I'd be very cautious. It could be done. Why not a skin suit, much like we use in FDL, in the the alien life form? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dressing up like the Orban. Yeah, I remember that. 
Okay, here, call me insane. I know you will. <laughs> uh, if we if we have high enough technology level, uh, if we haven't, if you got enough high enough tech, figure out how Millers are made. So you make a Miller body, but instead of using a Miller mine, you put yourself in. You put your own mine in there. Right. Or you could even do that with a robot body, where you could just transfer your mind into a into a robot analog of yourself. In all ways, it lo- it looks like you, it, it acts like you, it has the same range of motion as you do, but it's inured to the environmental effects that are on that world that are causing a problem. You just transfer your mind into it and off you go. Yeah, you, you know, you have a Miller suit. Well, actually, it's not, it's not a suit. It's a Miller body that you've transferred your mind into. And, I, and, and being uh, a creative person, and having access to a lot of DNA, you can t- you can take on various shapes and forms, so you can step through not as a Miller but as a person, and then later on shake someone's hand and get some DNA samples, so you can start changing appearance. Kind of reminds me of Anthrocon. Yeah. <laughs> Pursuit. Are you guys familiar with the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the original, like the comics? Yes. Yes. Okay, so remember the TCRI aliens? Yeah. The heads? They were like little squid-like creatures that lived inside of robot bodies. It's what in the cartoon later became Krang. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I hate the cartoon. Let's go back to the original comic. That was actually cool. Imagine, you know, the Tremellerans have robot bodies with these, you know, these living organisms that don't have any intelligence at all. They are actually made for the mind transfer. So it, this is a robot body set up with, an, with a living organism in it that you would mind transfer into and then walk through these troubled portals. So basically it's a cyborg with a, with a tabula rasa brain. Yeah, sure. Or, or, hey, or a Dalek. You know, something, you know, it's basically the same kind of idea as a Dalek. Yeah. Uh, the Daleks actually uh, can't operate on the fringe pass because their means of motivation is telekinesis. Mm-hmm. So as long as they don't need their travel suit in order to, to keep them alive, it's just an armored shell, they can roll themselves along forever. Yes. So there you go. Hey, Bruce, remember you're, 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 you're the guy who played the Dalek in your, in your campaign, you know? You could actually have... You know, maybe the the party winds up if you're a game master and you want to use them. You know, you could have this uh, in a later campaign. Maybe you have, you know, they walk into uh, a city or something, and they find all these Daleks who are completely inactive, and their their actual purpose is for mind transfer to go into worlds that are troubled, so that they could explore. Maybe they were invented by the Tremellern. You know, maybe Davros is a, um, you know, some twisted person who. Uh, has has figured a way to to use them in, in uh, you know in his devious methods. You could you could actually incorporate the whole Dalek and Davros that whole line into into the whole fringeworthy storyline without you know without nerfing it or cheesing it. You know it would actually make sense. Right. Well, in the later campaign, yeah, you'd have enough a personal you know character power that you wouldn't have to nerf the Daleks or Davros yeah. in your campaign. And that's one of the points, you know, yeah, of but, doing certain adventures later on is because the characters are now able to handle the level of threat and challenge that they couldn't have in the middle or early campaign. But I understand, if you start screwing around with people, on, on especially humans, a 
blue police box will show up. Yeah. <laughs> and you best run for the portal because that's your only chance of surviving. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You may think you're better than a doctor. No, you're not. Oh, that's that's just a wonderful thought, John. A fringe-worthy Gallifreyan Time Lord. Oh. <laughs> he has gone to other dimensions. Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't need to be fringe worthy. He could. Just, he could transfer onto the fringe pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. See? All right. Any any other ideas here? Oh. Because we pretty much covered it as far as I can tell. And did uh, he was talking about like organic technology? Yeah. Okay. Like a plant. Environmental suit. Yeah. Okay. Photosynthetic converts to electricity. Yeah. Okay. There is one other reason why you might want to keep uh, the campaign until the uh, you know exploring some worlds, and that is if those worlds were fringe aware, and if they had the ability to find their own fringe worthy, or if they were in fact universally fringe worthy, you want to wait until IDET and your own little personal Commonwealth is big enough to be able to stand against them once they find out that there's a portal out there into a bigger, bigger world. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You run into them in the early campaign. They say thank you very much for giving us this great place for us to explore and conquer. Right. And nobody's going to stop them. Richard, can a prime world also be an alternate world for someone else? That is, you have the prime. All you have the eight. You have the eight prime portals. Can you also have alternate portals from another prime out there someplace else, also in that same world? No. Nope. So if you're prime, then there's no alt. Can rotate a prime world into and in, to become an alternate world. That's not happy. <laughs> John's got himself some kind of a devious idea that he's ho- hoping that you're going to give him permission to do. <laughs> well, no, you don't understand. That was suck. But let's say you're part of the Commonwealth and you have your eight prime portals, and you depend on all eight of these portals in order to prosper. And all of a sudden you get demoted. Congratulations, you're somebody's alternate. Kiss those seven other portals goodbye. You want to know what type of drama that would... Imagine if that happened to Earth Prime. Yeah. That would suck. (laughs) Yeah, the the, the Chileans would definitely be ticked off. Unless it was their portal that remained, yeah. (laughs) Would also be a good way to isolate a very problematical world. So that begs the other question then, Richard. Can an alt world be an alternate for another for another prime? No. You're either a prime or you're an alt for that prime, and that's it. Either you're a prime with a eight portal, or if the system clicks, whatever the world was on that alt becomes the prime, and everything else is an alt. So it does a swap. It swaps. Okay. Now there's an idea. That definitely definitely is later later campaigns. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been something that in the original layout of the Fringe Pass, the uh, Victorians would have liked because they were just an alt. But in our power as as, as designers, we said we'll make them a, make them a prime. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The, the, those turtles weren't using their world very much, anyways. The prime that the uh, Victorians became was called Turtle World, and it had nothing but mud swamps and, and hot pits and, and lots of turtles. <laughs> I think the Victorians should have that spot, so we rotated them. Yeah. Okay, so we've got we've got all these you know uh, higher level portals, you know the, the portals we don't go to until our characters are higher level, and 
you know, all the technology and all that kind of stuff. So our characters do that. And what do you do with it? What do you do with these worlds that these characters have to be higher level to get to? What does it do to your campaign? What do we do with it? If you're in the late campaign and you're getting to these worlds that you're finally able to get to, those would most likely in one way or another, either is just the final adventure and you decide you're going to, eh, okay, we're going to wrap up the campaign and we'll just be on this world. Or this world could be, if, you've, if you're that good of a planner and you've planned ahead, where your big bad is, where your ultimate menace has been all this time. And let's say he's been, all his little machinations and plans, he's been from this world. He's able to get out, but can lock you guys out. Well, now you found that portal where he is. You found the rainbow key. You're going in after him. When you're done with this world, that ends the campaign. I would say most likely, if you're exploring these portals, you're wrapping up the campaign. It may be that one world or maybe a series of worlds you just have gotten to, but you know sooner or later you've explored all that you can explore. Or let, let's just say, for sake of example, oh, let's say the last portal you explore is, oh, the one that hooks the hardwired hinterland. Let's say you've done Fringeworthy you, and, okay, we want to try something else. You threw that last portal and it's a hardwired hinterlands. Congratulations, you just changed your campaign to something totally new. The same characters, but you've, you've gone off on a total different tangent, reinventing the campaign. Or you end up in Weird Zone that way. You know, so if what's on that world through that portal will so alter your campaign that it will literally revolutionize it, then that's something you would definitely want to leave until the end of the, of the campaign, the late campaign, because if you did it in the early campaign, well, you're done. Yeah. Or things are so radically altered that you, whatever it was you were trying to do with your campaign can't stand up to it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so. Actually, one thought across my mind, there is actually one platform that when you finally find it and start exploring it, it has potential of actually radically, radically altering your uh, campaign, and that's T-Prime. It's the moon-sized platform. That means it has alternates to T-Prime off of it. Those alternates are going to be full of Tamelon. What kind of melon? You don't know, but you know what? Finding a bunch of Tamelon you can start talking to and working with can alter, really radically alter your campaign at that point. Sure. I mean, if you go through any world that has you know a huge amount of differences in technology, philosophy, uh, just you know, um, uh, point of view, uh, the one I, I, I've been thinking this entire time that Raven mentioned is Vampire World. Yeah where you have ancient race of people that like to eat human beings. If you're high enough level characters, you probably can get them to negotiate where earlier on they would, as I said, they just come out and say, thank you for this gift. We will see you at dinner time." Or just the fact is that you know, we don't have to listen to you. We're going to just go do our thing. Instead of integrating them into your campaign, you now have this enigmatic force that you have to deal with. This is a comic book series called Atomic Robo Robot. 
It's a great series. It's by I think it's put out by my, not Dark Horse. Uh, I forgot who put it out. I have to look it up. It's atomic robot built by Tesla, and has all his adventures to the present. He's you know outlives Tesla, but they, they develop a dimensional gate, and the first world they open up to is Vampire World, and the vampires are just mindless blood sucking monsters, and it's almost TPK whenever they you send a team over that world. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, anything else, guys? Well, well, I just want to go back to T to the T Prime platform because all right, because there still is Portal Number One, the one back to T Prime. No, that doesn't go to anywhere, John. Oh, who says it doesn't go anywhere? Uh, we do. We've already said that T Prime, the Tremellern moved their planet like forty light years. So, if you any of the Prime platforms on T Prime, boom, you're in space, pal. I, I, I'm going to play uh, rules lawyer player then. But wait a second. You said by the time we get here, we know how to run this sucker. We can run these. We can run the system. Why can't I reconnect this portal back to T-Prime? Because they won't let you. They don't want to be connected. They left. Ah. And maybe anything over 40 light years is it will not allow you to establish a stable connection. Then I would argue, but the thing is, we're in an interdimensional space. It doesn't matter it's 40 light years away. We're in an interdimensional space. I just do a little translation, move the portal. Okay, now we're within range. If you knew where to go. John, also, it's one, it's 40 light years. It could be 40 light years in any direction. Also, what makes you think that the T-Primers are going to want visitors? They've been shunned by the Commonwealth for the mistakes that they made. They're going to be like, fine, we, they want to, we're, we're alone. We moved, we're, we are totally, what's the term? Isolationist. They're not going to want anybody popping through. And I think by now they would have defenses if anyone tried to breach through the dimensions to get to them, they would be Zort, no. Richard, when they moved T-Prime, did they just move the planet or did they move the entire solar system? The T-Prime, the, the main world, well, it's hard to describe because we haven't really covered it, ever. Yeah, it's, it's open territory at this point. The T-Prime is the juncture point of the bigger system. So if you want to turn the big system back on again, you need to get the T-Prime. The 600-foot portals... Well, John, we've already had a discussion about this very early on in our podcast, and we said that if we made any decisions that they were going to be hold true. So really, you know, there's no point talking about this now. You just go and review the earlier podcast. Oh, but I'm a GM. I can change my mind anytime I want to. To, to me, that's actually a valid question. You know, okay, so we find T prime. So yeah, the T prime, the the portal number one doesn't doesn't work anymore. It's shut down. It's there's no black surface. It's just a ring floating there, a hollow, an empty ring. You know, but still, there's a lot of things in that platform that to still pop out and look around and look and check. Yeah, there's hundreds of portals on that platform because it is a it's the size of a moon. That right there could easily be a campaign changer because now you're running into Tremellon who never found the you may actually they may actually be uh, alternates which they decided not to contact their alternate selves so they know nothing about dimensional traveling uh, but they have all the rest of their technology yeah it could be Schmerz home world yeah it could be Schmerz home world yeah. yeah and one of the reasons that you didn't explore some of these worlds is because they're so far away down the fringe paths 
that you haven't just gotten to them yet. That's true. It's a million, million worlds. Huh? Generally can't read Tremelorn and you can't use the shuttles. The Armag gift of language, does it gift you the ability to read Tremelorn? I would say yes. <laughs> In the shuttles, the problem with shuttles is there's so much. It's sort of like taking every yellow pages on the planet, putting them all together and saying pizza. Yeah. Well, also, it, the, the gift of language, it, that's only for planetary portals. Those fringe shuttles never leave fringe space. The only portals they go through, portals that leave to and from pathways. I think we said, though, that going through the, pl going through the platform... At the T-Prime, the shuttles do come out. Imagine fields as far as you can see under domes mm -hmm. where these shuttles have come out of 50-foot, uh, 25-foot plat uh, uh, platforms. For those of you who haven't listened, uh, Mark Kinney ran a Fringeworthy game, uh, which, which he ran into a Tremelin world. And one of the first things that happened was the Tremelin equipment reconfigured itself so that, one, they could read, read the dials and, and, and operate the equipment because it's smart. Not intelligent, but smart. <laughs> and realized for, for the people to use it, it had to reconfigure itself so they could use it. If you're looking for pizza and you need to know the specifics, and things may have changed in the last few hundred years. Smart's still re indexing the system, so it hasn't been re indexed, re -indexed yet. So, yeah. <laughs> and also, I would think maybe the Termelern, they made it to where. Okay, Termelorn A through L do not gift that do not give that as a translation gift. All the other languages, fine. Those languages you have to be of, you know, that particular uh what's the term I'm looking for? Genotype. Even though say all people of Earth are Termelorn, it just some may look like bear cats, some may look like humans, some may look like humanoid spiders. Let's just say they may have wanted to wear they didn't allow that as part of the translation option. Or they decided after the fact, okay, we're taking our we're taking our balls, we're taking our toys, we're leaving. Oh, by the way, you can't read this stuff now, can you? Bye. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be another restriction just like the energy filters and the Frenchworthy filter and anti-Meller filter. It could be just another one that's hidden that you don't find out about until later. Much later, like the late campaign. Where you finally figure out, okay, hey, 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 what's this about language? And you turn you turn it on, so now everything gets translated. Campaign, they kept noticing that they'd look at Termelorn signs, and ten minutes later they were different. They were flipping. They started to try to catalog the Termelorn writing as Termelorn, Termelorn B, Termelorn Linear B, Termelorn. What was that? And I don't <laughs> know what that was. <laughs> and then there was Termelorn graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> it was all written in prime numbers. And it kept changing. Poetic prime numbers. I think we've come to the end of, of, of our discussion here. Let me add one note on this. Some of these portals that are locked off may be simply locked off because the things on the other side are fragile or there's something that's being protected. Not necessarily anything bad. They may be wonderful things on the other side that they wanted to make sure we're safe. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, like a culture that really doesn't do well with other cultures. But it's a beautiful culture. And yeah, you can do mind transfers, you can old Mellers through. But if you step through, you pretty much have destroyed their culture. Hmm. <laughs> destroyed their world. Because they just...
can't handle strangeness at all. That could be a, one of those situation reasons why it was closed off. It was closed off for their protection, not yours. It could be a warehouse of things that the Termellern held dear, like mm-hmm. things that they found in their early explorations that they like a warehouse or a museum, and they just wanted to lock it off. So these precious things, let's say were the, they were the last relics of universes that were destroyed somehow. And the Termellon wanted to store them all away. They're going to lock that down. The last hurrahs of various races and species, yeah. Yeah. Or even specimens of those species held in stasis somehow. There could be a nature zone that decide, let's just close it off and, and check it once every 10,000 years and see what happens, see what's, what's changing there. So it can be locked off because it was someone's science project and is now locked off and you can't get in until you can find the right level key. There's nothing there because it's a science project and it's still cooking. So there's other reasons why portals are locked off. They could be entirely for personal reasons. They could be a portal's locked off because it's someone's home. Someone used to live here and, they, and when they left, they decided no one else can come in here. I just rainbow key it. I know no one's going to get in there until I decide to come back and I'm never coming back. So, hmm. Okay. All right, so there seems to be an awful lot of good reasons why portals would not be available, not just because they're too dangerous or too threatening. There's a whole lot of reasons why some portals might not be explored until the very end of your campaign, or at least into what we call the advanced or the mature campaign. So there's a lot of stuff out there for you to explore, even after you've been playing the early, middle, and even in the late campaign. So be sure to keep your mind open for the possibilities that are out there, and don't just think that when you find a portal, you need to go in guns blazing. So Remember, folks, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Actually, you can catch more flies with manure, but anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, these and other thought-provoking questions will be answered in the future, but you're going to have to wait. Until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.